Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, folks. So as we do every single episode, we bring you the top B2B voices that helps you get your brand to the next level. And today is no exception. We have Yaniv Swissa with us. Yaniv, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Elsie. Yaniv, before we get into any of the good stuff, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. So give us the two minute Cliff Notes version of how we got here. How did Sine Wave come to market? You know, like any version, it's nothing anyone expected of any story, right? I was originally an entrepreneur. Then I was uh, under both the Bush and Obama administrations building a group that had many hundreds of billions of dollars to invest in, directly into private companies to help those companies make innovative tech commercial. And so did that during the recessions, which made me really popular. It really was because I was a nice guy, right? And so ended up because everyone wanted that money. And so what you see today as well. And so ended up going to NEA, which is one of the big venture firms, New Enterprise Associates, realized there I was one of the only senior government people at any of the top venture funds. And so I ended up starting SineWave. And what we do here is we invest in kind of early stage commercial technologies. So think like baby Microsofts, not baby Lockheed's, just like the rest of the valley. But we add the public sector vertical on top of the commercial vertical to give them bigger exits, bigger opportunity. Got it. So our audience is a mixture. We have small to mid-sized B2B service-based organizations, and we have larger organizations that listen as well. So two things I want to clarify to folks who don't really understand commercial tech, what does that mean? And venture, like give us a sense of what that means. Sure. So we invest in commercial enterprise tech, right? So there's all kinds of commercial tech, but on the enterprise side, it's your data, your clouds, your systems, your infrastructure. It's the kind of technology that your average Fortune 500 company would need or would use, right? To build either higher performance into their business or lower cost and hopefully both, right? The venture part of things, venture are the guys who invest in you, right? Some companies make sense for venture, some don't, but the VCs are kind of some of them do angel investing, which is early stage, but as you're growing the company, we'll give you money, help sit on your board, help you grow, help you think about recruiting, product, et cetera. So that's the role of a venture capitalist. Got it. Before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about some of the top things or some of the, the mistakes, we'll say it that way, <laughs> that you see companies make when they're just going about running and operating their business that positions them in a way that they can seek venture capital or angel capital or any other type of outside side capital. Talk a little bit about some of those things that over the years that you've seen organizations, the mistakes that they make. 
Well, you started by saying uh, <laughs> the mistakes piece. No, no entrepreneur ever thinks they make mistakes. <laughs> so one of the things we always look for is someone who can be coachable. So when you're taking a meeting with a VC, you obviously want to have a revolutionary tech that solves a real problem, right? And by solves, not just tells you there's a problem or is a feature that kind of plays whack-a-mole or does a few little things. You want it to actually solve the issue for the company. You want it to drive return. But most importantly, I think it's about you know having the right team. And so when I was at NEA, they, they, NEA's been around for 50-something years before I started SignWave, and they did a study of the thousands of companies they, they invested in. And one of the things they found was that the only real thing that they found as correlated was if the teams had worked together before. So I think that's an important piece for for speaking to a VC. And then the last piece is, you know, be honest about the risks. Don't pretend there aren't any, but show that you've thought about them, right? And you have an idea for mitigating them and growing the company. And I think that kind of relationship with a VC, showing that you could be coached, knowing you're on the same page as to where the company is going or should go, is really important when you're making an investment decision. You talked a little bit too about customer behavior understanding the market, what are some some tips and tricks, right, where founders can really do a better job of understanding both customer behavior and the market? Because I'll tell you, the few businesses that I've started, I started with no boots or no straps. And so one of the things that I can attest to is that understanding the market, which it, the market is brutal. The market does not care that you have a mortgage. The market does not care that you need to eat. <laughs> the market will correct. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what are some ways that founders can really dig deep into market, understand the market and customer behavior? Yeah, I think that's a really important piece, right? A lot of entrepreneurs tend to be, a lot of entrepreneurs are the younger crowd. There's also the folks who've done it many times, right? So, but particularly younger folks who are starting companies and haven't been in the particular business they're building a solution for, it's important to understand what your customers' pain points are. What really drives ROI? And that is what drives higher performance, which is particularly popular in you know the upturns, and what drives lower cost, which is particularly popular in the downturns. You always need both, but you want to be you always need both as a company, but that tends to be where the the enterprise buyer's focus is. And you also want to show that you can work with them. Right. I think one of the most important things an entrepreneur can do early on is find a design partner. So you always have customers, but there are customers who will put in the sweat equity with you because they see what you're doing is so important to their business and could drive so much value for them that they're willing to give you feedback and spend time with you and try different things. I think that's really important for understanding what you're building and building it the right way. Caveat being, you need to have your own vision. You don't want to build just for one customer. You have to remember, right, this has to be a platform or a technology that applies to many. But often one customer will give you enough of a framework that it'll apply to many different folks. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Leveraging the customer relationships to sort of triangulate that behavior, right? Because the right customer will tell you UI is, is terrible and it takes me <laughs> twice as long to actually do what I need to do. Or they might say, you know, everything is great except this one thing. Or have you thought about that? So I love that. How are you saying kind of leveraging those relationships, which kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's about relationships, right? It's about understanding and leveraging those relationships. Let's talk about team building for a second, because I'm, I'm a sports guy, love basketball. And the time of this recording is March Madness. So there was a point guard, Kansas State, and he's bringing the ball up the court, critical part in the game. He looks over at his coach and his coach gives him a play. 
for whatever reason, he didn't like that play. And so he sort of waves his coach off and says, I don't want to run that play. And the coach kind of goes, and some people are saying that it was scripted, that they do that all the time, but that's beside the point. And so they finally come up with a with the play that they're going to run. And so the point guard signals his team and then proceeds to throw an alley-oop right at the rim to his teammate. And I said all that to say, that's the power of building an effective culture and an effective team where the players weren't looking at the coach for the play. They were looking at the point guard and the point guard was looking at the coach for the play. And so talk a little bit about how important that team building aspect is, both from being an organization that's investable and from the viewpoint from a venture capitalist that's looking at an organization. As the coach in this analogy, given that I'm the VC (laughs) and then there's the entrepreneurs actually doing the real work in the game, right? I'd say that, remember that your coach has many, many, many years experience seeing patterns, seeing how things work. It's not always, they're not always right like anybody else, but it's often uh, wise to take some of their advice or at least try to take some of their advice, consider it in a real way and see where it goes. I think that that's a particularly important piece. You have to let entrepreneurs make their own mistakes sometimes too. And you also have to admit when you're wrong, right? Which happens. On the team side, on the player side of things, you know, we as VCs have to recognize, and I think sometimes we lose that perspective when we're in the mix, when we're, you know, coming in for, to work with a company and a board meeting, we have to realize, you know, the team players are there in the day to day, right? They're in the thick of it. They know what's going on in real time. They have to make the real decisions. They know their business better than anybody, including you. You know businesses and patterns, but they know their business. And so I think it's really important to have a team that understands can be transparent with one another. I think that's one of the biggest problems in teams. If you can't have those tough conversations, say when folks are doing things wrong, but also you have to build a team knowing what you don't know. So I can talk a little bit about when I built the SineWave team. We're building something new, almost a new vertical in venture that we now, you know, as a firm have come to own because of that. And venture has been around for a long time to find something new is rare. So I said, you know, I've got a map. I actually read Bridgewater's Management Principles by Ray Dalio. I would never run a firm like Bridgewater. I think I'd cry all day long. (laughs) They're about really harsh, kind of straightforward transparency, you know, in the like, hey, do I look fat? Yes, you look fat. Not not my thing. You know, maybe that's not the best outfit on you is more my kind (laughs) of kind of thing. But um, I do think, you know, the point I took away from it was map the muscles you need to accomplish this job, whatever it is, right? Be honest about what muscles are yours, but also what muscles you want to use that you have or don't have, right? And find the other muscles and put them together to build an effective team to execute. The last and third kind of high level thing I'd say is not just be honest with each other, but be honest about what your team culture is. I actually learned this myself. I have one company where they're particularly very data engineering high IQ, maybe a little less fuzzy on the EQ stuff, right, as a company. And we tried to kind of get them early on to diversify that, right? Bring in some EQ people, bring in, you know, different types. And for some companies that works and it makes sense and you have all different kinds of personas. And at some, it doesn't. And this was one where we said, you know what? Stick with the engineering, you know, really deep data kind of stereotypical engineering type for your organization, because that's what actually does work for you and your team. And the others don't really last because you've built a culture that's specific. So find folks that match, 
right? You never want to take a job and you never want to hire someone who doesn't match. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about market dynamics. I heard you, you even mention it a couple of times that there are certain times in the market where organizations are looking to increase top line, but there are certain points in the market where people are, are looking more on bottom line. My operations brain in me, my, you know, the hat says should probably be thinking about everything that happens in between. But what's your take on market dynamics and sort of how to leverage that as a founder? Yeah, I think there's a few. A few yeah, the should is always the right way, but <laughs> what you do do or can do is is always different. So in terms of thinking about the markets, I think you have to diversify your customer base, right? So one of the reasons that one of the kind of key values at SineWave, which I built our firm, is that we, you know, the government is a counter-cyclical market player, right? And that's the same in some of the commercial world too, right? There are counter-cyclical market players. So the government is spending tons of money, chips act, infrastructure bill, buying new commercial tech, while some of the maybe regular corporate Fortune 500 are a little stagnant right now because of what's going on. You also have to be thinking about on a pretty regular basis, this is something the Valley sometimes gets wrong when they come to enterprise tech companies, we in the venture world and in the startup world and the entrepreneurs world, we sell what could be the vision, right? But a customer wants what they can use now that drives ROI now, that brings them a return in value now for the problem that they're experiencing, right? And so I think that that's a really important thing. When you're going into a customer, you can sell, you can sell a vision, you can sell a tool set that they could do a million things with, but they're not going to think for you. So at the end of the day, you want to be able to say, I know you have this pain point. I can solve this now, right? Oh, yes, I have AI in my tech, which now everybody has. We were joking earlier that like, you can get AI to like make your coffee or start your car. Everything is AI nowadays, which is a good thing in that it's a great, valuable tool. But a customer is going to say, so what, right? So what does that do for me and my business? And so as long as you're thinking about that and thinking about what their needs are, I think you can weather the storms. Yeah. Maybe this time next year, I'll have my digital AI version of me host my podcast and I won't have to do anything. So what are some ways to diversify? Um, I heard you say diversify your customer base. What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's always so one way to do it is to have investors with diverse networks. Right. And that's one of the reasons you pick investors. Right. And sometimes work with strategic investors. Right. It's to say, OK, what can you bring to me that's different? So we at Signway build some, one of the things we always say differentiates us is we will, we work a lot with the Fortune 480, we call them. You know, we work with Cisco and Google like everybody, but we also work with Monsanto and Alcoa and Emerson Electric and, you know, the industrials and the agriculture and the fintech and others. I think that's important. We work with the public sector. That's important. So I think if you do a broad scoping of where do the different sectors and solutions that matter for what I can build and provide to the market are. Let's go find early on, you know, the two or three verticals that matter that that kind of balance each other out. Right. So tech and healthcare often balance each other out. Public sector commercial often balance each other out. Just depends on the scenario. Right. On what your particular solution is. But it's always good to have a diverse set of customers who you're working with and experimenting with. And then you can replicate that in those verticals before moving to the next. But it should never just be it can be one. If you have, you know, maybe it's international diversity, right? Or stage diversity. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but you have to prepare for these kind of blips in the market. What in the world is the CHIPS Act? So the CHIPS Act, are you suggesting that something vague and, and difficult to digest came out of Washington? <laughs> that never <laughs> no, happens. I hate that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the CHIPS Act is a technology act. It was driven by a lot of different things. But the punchline for your listeners is it has hundreds of millions of dollars for startups and for technology companies. Among the areas of example, there's a ton of critical infrastructure technology money that's there. Same with the infrastructure bill. There's a lot of money for 5G and where that's going. There's some AI solution money. And it's basically a you could think of it as the government's way of trying to compete internationally and in continuing our country's tech leadership to, to move as fast as it does. And some of that is funding a lot of the people on this call. Now, I don't, you know, one of the reasons SimeWave is valuable in the industry, I think, is because you shouldn't always go after that. Going after that can be complicated and difficult. It can also be easy if you know the right way to do it. And so you want to just have a you know, have a level head as to what fits and doesn't fit. Don't try to put two puzzle pieces together that don't work. But when the puzzle does fit, it, I think it's a huge opportunity for folks. Can you go into a little bit more detail on what you described as revolutionary tech? What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah, so I think it's the next stage of technology. I'll give you an example in one sector just to give you a sense of what works and doesn't work. So let's take cybersecurity, right? You had originally in cybersecurity, the original kind of, I guess, paradigm of cybersecurity was something called perimeter defense, right? And so you'd build kind of fences around your structure, right, to protect yourselves. And then we realized, and, and Simon did this, well, that's interesting, but everyone's going to get in anyway. And we see that happening, right? You can't whack-a-mole everything. So if everyone's going to get in, what do you do? You have to find a way to recognize that they got in and mitigate and prevent them from and prevent whatever they stop them. Right. And whatever they're taking out, make sure that it's not as valuable to them or not useful to them. Right. Whoever the attacker is. And so that was really where we came to endpoint security, which will be the next revolution. Basically taking that paradigm and realizing this is the new paradigm. Let's think about it this way and build the best solution for that. And so that's why we invested at SignWave and Sentinel One, which was ended up being the biggest cyber IPO ever. They did great. And then what's the next revolution, right? Not just we can, you know, whack-a-mole this new, this new bug, right? Or we can add a nice feature onto what Sentinel One can do in endpoint, right? What is the next paradigm shift that requires people to architect their systems or think about the the industry differently, right? And for us, we believe that that's identity, the identity level, which is even closer than endpoint to the customer. And we invested in a company recently in that space. And so I think you've also, you got to be thinking, you know, what is the, it's about a new way of thinking. It's not just this incremental add-on to what already exists. What other frameworks or, I guess, perspectives do you have on patterns? I've heard you mention that a few times, seeing patterns, recognizing patterns. Do you have a framework? Is there a way that you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, that's a pattern. <laughs> How do you go about recognizing patterns? You know, like anybody, some of it comes with experience. Some of it comes with being trained by folks who have experience, right? But there are several patterns that you learn over time. You know, it's, an, it's always an art rather than science, and there's always exceptions to the rule. But I do think that there are some lessons. I'll give you a, one or two fun ones and then one or two kind of more, maybe more practical. You know, every entrepreneur comes to you and says they're never going to raise money. Well, they're always going to raise money. They, you just laugh. Like that's just not going to be the case. And that's a truism of everything venture. The, the other one is, you know, if you get over your valuation skis, it's going to come back to bite you. Right. And that also, I've never seen it not happen. But the, um, 
in terms of, uh, I know the, the folks who listen to this podcast and the entrepreneurs that I deal with every day, which are like your, your listeners, you know, how do you think about selling into an organization? What are some of the business challenges that are kind of typical, right? One is if you're selling to enterprise customers, remember, they're not just going to overhaul their existing architecture for you, little startup, right? And so you want to have a way to mod in a modular way, be able to show them what you can do for them. Right. I think that's a really important piece to gain buy in from the customer. Another one is to think about the difference between technology, product and solution. Right. Those are very different things. And I think understanding where you are in that life cycle and building that properly is another kind of key thing we always see and what that pattern is right there. And one that I, I mentioned a little bit already, but I think is probably the one I see the most is when you go in to a customer, make sure you're selling them something they need, not something they want or would be nice to have. Don't think, don't give them any opportunity to think that don't, you know, don't let them think themselves. You've already thought for them. You know, they have this problem through however you've been sourcing that information or because you have other customers who have the same problem, right? You know, they have this problem. You know, you can solve it. And by the way, then you can help them with all these other things, right? That land and expand model, right? You always want the expansion part, but the land part does not require boiling the ocean because they're not going to figure out how to do that for you. And so I think those are some examples of things we see that many startups have that problem on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So taking kind of a step back, you mentioned that entrepreneurs come to you and say, well, I'm never going to raise money, but they end up always raising money. Why do you think that is? What are some of the things that happened in the course of them running that business that causes them to see the light and say, oh, I actually do need to raise money. Let me let me call your knee back. <laughs> well, there are usually two edges ends to this coin, right? One is they ran out of it and are not doing so well and they just need it, right? They need to pay their mortgage, right? But for their company in this case. But most often I think, they're, but that's not what they're thinking when they say I won't need to raise. They're thinking, oh, I'm going to get cash flow positive. And that is important. And I know VCs sometimes discount that, right? But at the end of the day, the most important piece, you have to be able to get cash flow positive and have a real business. Let's be clear about that. But our world drives is about driving growth, right? You hear about all of our companies going public and all the press is like, well, they have, they're losing money. They're losing money. Often that's on purpose, right? And not for the sake of losing money. They have a business where if they wanted to flip a switch today, they could just be making money, right? They could be cash flow positive, but they're pouring more money into the business to grow it because the opportunity set has expanded. The amount of market share they can take by building on these additional product lines has expanded, right? And to do that and to move fast and to compete, you need money. Right. And so the best startups that are doing well can choose to be just cash flow positive. And that's fine. There's, that's a great thing. But when it's going exceptionally well, you want to pour that money into growth, right? It, you, and keep growing that company. That's the venture model. There are some businesses where you become cash flow positive. You're happy making a few million a year and that's your business. And that's actually a fantastic business too. That's just not the venture model, right? And so I think that's an important piece. And hopefully you do need to raise more money because it's going great for you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is oftentimes I've, I found that when people start businesses, they don't know which one they are. Are they, is it a venture model or which, what ultimately, what are they building toward? And so that causes a lot of friction, not only with the internal team, because it's like, okay, 
you're the leader. Where are we going? And and then from the outside looking in, it's like, okay, where are you going <laughs> as an organization? So I think having that in mind up front um, is definitely helpful. That's also why team is so important. Because I'll tell you, you never know where you're going <laughs> at the end of the day. Certainly at the start, you don't know where you're going, right? And so having a team that can adjust and move and maneuver, that's a key important piece. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, Jenny. I... When I first started out, I would do these robust yearly annual plans and all this stuff. But I found that, at least for me, every quarter is different. Every quarter has a unique set of challenges. And I ended up changing my annual plan every quarter anyway. What's your take on that? Should we be planning a full year out or what's the right amount of time to be looking looking for? Because the market changes so fast. Oh, I mean, every day. Just two weeks ago, there was this thing called Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. So, <laughs> so absolutely, things change quickly. I think you should do strategic planning. I think it's important to know what your ultimate goal is, what your vision is, what the product is going to be. Because in the day-to-day, you can get swayed by this demand or that demand, right? Or, oh, this person's going to give me revenue, but that's not really what I want to be or what I want to do or that these particular things are just a lot of work that's distracting my team from the ultimate goal. You have to learn to say no. And without the the broad strategic plan, you can't say no. Now, you have to recognize that that strategic plan is a high-level thing that you do at an offsite with your key executive team, and then you run the day-to-day business, right? And you adjust that plan, and you change it, right? One of my mentors, Peter Barris from NAA, used to always teach this GE lesson, and he taught it to me very well. You know, there are some decisions you have to make quick on the fly, and they're easily changeable, and some that take time, right? And you want to make the right decision and stick with them because it's so core to your business, right? So I would say in terms of strategic plan, you're spending the time thoughtfully to make those long-term decisions, right, for your business that you and the team agree to. Still changeable, but you spend time on them and you get them right as best you can. And then in the day-to-day, you make quick things you can turn over and change and do as long as it's on the path. So you always need the road. But how you travel it and, and where you go, that's the different story. Got it. Over the, your, your years of building a business and helping other people grow it and expand their business, what would be the one? I know this might be a really, really tough question for you, but what's the one lesson, like the one thing that you can say, if you do this thing really well, you'll be on your way? You know, for me, I'm a very relationship-driven guy. I think it's care about the person on the other side, right? I always say I make friends first and business follows, if it makes sense, Right. I think that people's, no one wants to feel like a checkbook. Everyone can read it when you're faking them, right? And when you're playing games, it's just not worth anyone's time. And at the end of the day, it's great to build businesses and that's what we do. It's great to make money and that's what we do. But it's more important to be you and be a person and and be who you are and enjoy life and take this in an exciting way, right? And, And make it an exciting adventure. And the Part that become a key part of the excitement there and, and what helps you succeed is the people along the way, right? You don't get those design partners who give in their time and equity unless they like you and see your vision and get along with you and click. You don't pick a VC. You should not pick a VC 
unless you fit well with them, right? It's a marriage. I, I'm going to be around longer than some of your wives and husbands are going to be, right? And especially if you build a second company after the first decade, first company, right? And so you want to make sure that you're really working with the people you want to work with. I say that at SineWave all the time. We are a team that has a particular culture that works for us. We care about each other. And that's our model. And other firms work well with very different models. So find the place you fit, find the people you fit with. And I think that's the most important thing. I think it actually makes you more effective at the end of the day. And the most important thing, if it doesn't go well, and you still feel like you did something worthwhile, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that you've done that at SineWave? So, you know, we've we've really built a team. I know this about me, right? When there are people who, just like I said, I need friends first and business follows, right? I don't work well with people who are just colleagues. It doesn't go well for me. I'm completely ineffective because it doesn't motivate me as a person. And so everyone at our team, you know, I, I don't need to know the details of your sex life, but I want to know about, you know, your. I care about your family. I care about your health. I care about your, you know, well-being. I care about... Another key thing that people forget is I care about your growth, right? That's important in a startup. You have to do your day-to-day job, but you have to recognize your team wants to grow and expand. And the best way to keep people, especially high performers, is to allow them to grow and expand at your own organization. And so we at Simon always say, what do you want to do? What do you want to build? If it fits and it makes sense, like, let's do it. Why not, right? Experiment with it. It fits, it fits that broad strategic path that you used to build all the time, LZ, right? But it's something that came up along the road this year. And why not, right? It's still on the path. So let's do it. I think that that's a key important element. And then when you have figured that out, one of my partners, Pat, she she would say, um, she's a little less fuzzy than the rest of us sometimes. And she said, you know, this fuzzy family thing that you wanted to create, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. But you know what, it worked out. And it's pretty special. We need to protect it. And that's the the last point I'd make. Make sure you protect that, right? That's the most important thing long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you run into situations where maybe you brought on a new team member or missed a new partner or a company that you guys are working with? And for whatever reason, you've missed the boat. You picked the wrong person and it just wasn't working. How does that flow within your team? That's never happened to me. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's happened. So one thing I'll say is no one has ever complained that they fired someone too early. So you need to think through that and recognize that. But one of the things we do is we take care of people, right? So if there is a recognition, usually the person recognizes it too, right? It's like when you're in a relationship and there's a breakup, 90% of the time you knew it was coming, right? And you were kind of like slogging through it for a while for good reasons sometimes, but you knew it was coming, right? I think, you know, what we've done is we've always tried to find a home because if we picked you in the first place, you have a talent and you have a value and you're good at something, right? What that is may not fit our organization. So we do two things. Up front, we spend at least six months hiring people. We take a very long time hiring people at SignWave because of our culture and what it needs to fit into that. So that's one piece. Make sure you're looking for all the key pieces up front. And then the second piece is if it's not working out, Find a home for someone. Like I described an organization earlier in this call, right? That is very engineering, very kind of cut it, straight edged, very um data driven. We're data driven too, but in a very like different kind of mode of human that maybe that's the right organization. I'll help you find a gig there, right? I think that's the right thing. One of the best references entrepreneurs can do on their VC is ask to talk to a CEO who the VC fired. 
or an executive that the VC fired or someone on their team that the VC fired. I think that tells you a lot about whether you can work with the person and how they think. Very cool. Any last pieces of advice for B2B founders and SaaS founders? You know, I'll tell you this. One of my mentors once said to me, he said, Yenny, if you built this company, Signwave, and you raised this first fund so fast, and it was so much money for a first fund, and and there are so many more people who are more qualified <laughs> and have done this so much longer who, sh- who didn't succeed, you should be really you know, grateful. And I, I took it as a compliment, And but I thought about why I didn't feel that. And I think there are two, and I thought about why is it the case that I was able to do that as well. So why I didn't feel that is because sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. And so I think you as an entrepreneur need to do that. At Signwave, everyone jokes like, ah, Yenny's like, should I take this vacation? It's busy. And they say, no, we need to let Yenny take the vacation. And the same for them, because you come back with a different perspective, right? I think taking that pause is important. And the other piece I learned was, why did I accomplish it? And I think it was persistence, right? Sometimes you're in the muck and you just got to climb, say to yourself, I'm in muck right now. I'm just going to climb back out of the muck. This is a great idea. Everyone falls in the muck sometimes, sometimes regularly. So I'm just going to climb back out of the muck. And you know what? It'll make a good story one day when this is a great success, right? And so I think just remind yourself to keep going. I think 90% of success, there's a lot of luck, but a lot of success that you can control is that persistence piece, right? Yeah, I totally agree. If folks want to reach out to you to say hello, to learn more about Signwave and the other projects that you have going on, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just why Swissa at Signwave.vc, the only Yaniva on the internet, I think. So it's pretty easy. And LinkedIn is another great way to connect with me. I use it pretty regularly. And would love to hear from you, by the way. Happy to, to give some advice or also check out your startups. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Yaniv. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.